Welcome to Inside Divorce. My name is Hindel Grossman, the owner of the law firm called Grossman & Associates LTD, located in Newton and Nantucket, Massachusetts. Hello, this is Hindel Grossman, and welcome to Inside Divorce. Today, I'm speaking with Lisa Ziderman, who's an attorney, a divorce attorney in New York. And uh, hello, Lisa. How are you? Hi, Hindel. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Let's uh, hear a little about yourself. So I am a divorce attorney. I'm a managing partner at a firm called Miller Ziderman LLP. We have offices in Manhattan and in Westchester, and we focus our practice on divorce, custody matters, support matters, as well as prenups and postnups. I got it. That's a lot. So today, I know we're going to be focusing our conversation about mental health issues prior to divorce, maybe even prior to the relationship. And during the relationship and once the relationship breaks down, how to handle those red flags that might have shown up. So tell me how mental health issues show up in your your world. Well, so mental health issues in my world show up usually at the end, right? When somebody is about to go and get divorced or is going through a divorce. And there are custody issues that might be at play or orders of protection or physical and mental abuse issues. So it shows up in my office when we're at the end. But there are ways that I think people can learn to recognize some of this before they get to my office. And in some cases, way before they get to my office, when they're actually dating their prospective spouse to be. And we always say that there are some telltale signs that I see as I'm going through the divorce that maybe I could have actually, had I seen this or heard about this before, said to the person, well, maybe this wasn't the best person to actually marry in the first instance. So one of the things that I I find is that as we're proceeding through the divorce, people start telling me about some of the mental health issues that a spouse has had in the past. And some of those stories or narratives that they tell me involve prior girlfriends or boyfriends, bad breakups that they had, issues of abuse, whether they had orders of protection against a person or whether they had orders of protection against that somebody had an order of protection against them. And as well as family history, issues between family members that may have caused eruptions and violent outbursts, rage issues, things that come up. You know, you can look for issues about money, for example, how someone controls money is often a sign, a telltale sign, even during dating, how they want to divide up expenses. You can also think about some of the Issues that come up, whether somebody has good judgment or poor judgment, how they might be retelling stories about past marriages, about past dates. God, well, there's a lot of things to look for. So I know people can be very forgiving when they're first dating someone and they like to, you know, have stars. They sometimes they have stars in their eyes and they like to kind of overlook things that might later be obvious when they're getting divorced. So how would people start to look clearly at another person and what their personality traits really are and what to be worried about? So I think you make a very good point, Dell, in the sense that people are in love, dating, they're at their, they're supposed to be, or usually will be at their best, right? This is the time when it's new and it's fresh and it's wonderful. And I think that as someone who is dating, you want to keep your eyes open. You want to be open to the fact that this person may not be the person that you want to be with, even though it's fun and it's great and it's, and, and it's sexy and it's all terrific. 
But I think that dating someone and even living with someone for a period of time before you get married and, and frankly, before you have children is such an important piece. It, it's an important piece to get to know your partner to be before you get into a situation where you're going to be married and sharing a both a financial partnership and most importantly, a custodial relationship with this other person. Yeah, you can't tell when you're dating what that person will be like as a parent either, or a partner or a parent. So I think that that's true, but you can watch how someone reacts with their nieces and nephews. You can see how someone reacts with another person's children. You can also see, you know, you might be on vacation with someone and see how they react to children being noisy around you when you're on that wonderful romantic vacation with someone. I think there are ways to see and to spot the issues that might come up later to see if you're on the same page and if there are certain issues that become outstanding, such as rage issues that we often see. Yeah, yeah. Now, as a divorce attorney, you and I see people at their worst. Of course, the the stress of a divorce and the fear of the unknown put people at their, the, the worst traits come out. And you don't really know what they were like when before the divorce began and if their personality has changed during the divorce because of the emotions that run so high. But you're right, we're looking at red flags uh, before they get to the divorce process, hopefully for more successful relationships. You mentioned a lot of red flags, but there are some actual personality, mental health, I guess, classifications that professionals use. What is your experience with those, knowing those? So we see people sometimes who you know are narcissistic or have a bipolar personality disorder or a borderline personality disorder. And sometimes there were signs of some of this to begin with. Often, or not very often, a client will say to me, well, he or she was cutting themselves when I met them, or he or she was hospitalized prior to, or they had such a bad bad breakup with the other person that the police were involved. These are things to inquire about, to delve a little bit deeper, and not to just listen superficially to some of this information. There are certainly real personality disorders. Now, there's also medications, right? And there's therapeutic ways to deal with with these personality disorders. So just because a person has a personality disorder doesn't mean that you don't want to be with them. And certainly you can be with that person and you can have children and have a wonderful, happy life and those people parent really well. But the question is, is the person in therapy? Is the person dealing with their issues? How is the person managing these issues? Is the person saying, well, I, I, you know, I had these orders of protection and it wasn't my fault and I never dealt with my rage issues, or I don't think I had any rage issues, but I had like five orders of protection against me or child services came and I was found to be an abusive parent, but it wasn't me. Right. And I never dealt with that. So it's about how people deal with their mental illness. Well, as I say to younger people that I know that are in my personal life, you know, it takes a long time to get to know people. So you might not recognize the signs right away. And you might be, for example, dating somebody who conceals it pretty well or hasn't disclosed prior incidents that have happened and they don't come out until later. So there's kind of risk involved in all relationships, isn't there? Yes. And that's why it's good also, A, to date for a longer period of time, but B, also to meet the other person's friends to meet the other person's family members, 
to hear from other people, to see their relationships with other people. Because often we learn about people through their relationships with others. What what are the friends saying? How long have they known these friends? Do they have deep and personal connections with people? You know, going back a ways. Do they know them during their last marriage or their last relationship? These are all parts, I think, of dating and getting to know someone so that you actually aren't just learning about these very superficial, maybe very sexy kinds of encounters that you're having with people. Yeah, 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 sure. Really open your eyes and see what you're dealing with. The expression uh, narcissist, the word narcissist comes up a lot in divorces, where one spouse is accusing the other to be a narcissist. And I know that there's a certainly a technical and, and psychological definition of that. My hearing of that when I heard the word is that the person is selfish, the narcissist is selfish. That kind of informs how we begin to negotiate the divorce process. So I think it's more than just selfish. It's interesting when people come to me and they say that their husband or wife is a narcissist, what they're most concerned about usually is that the person is so charming to others and that they are going to be able to essentially trick or fool the not only the attorney that they're hiring, but also the judge that they may be before or the referee that they may be before, because they believe that this person who thinks of themselves in this grandiose way often and is selfish very often, okay, and may have rage issues and may have some sexual addiction issues, right? But this person, nevertheless, is this most charming human being that everybody thinks is great. And that is what I think is so frightening to people who come to me that say that they are married to a narcissist, that they that this person will outcharm everyone. Uh-huh. And it takes a long time to, to see behind that facade. It does. And I've spoken to therapists about this. And one of the things that they say is that's their experience of this person, but that's not necessarily everybody's experience of this person. So when they say, I'm never going to get through this divorce because I'm married to a narcissist and he's going to be able to really run the show, that's because that's their experience of being with this person. Sure. Sure. Well, it's something to worry about. I mean, it's, it's, it's the hints that the client gives us about who the, who we're dealing with right, in the process. Absolutely. And it's very important during my first consultation, I ask people about what their relationship is like and why they're sitting in my room with me having a consultation and what kind of parents each one of them are and how money is controlled. And all of those are issues that we cover actually during my first consultation usually so that I can learn about what's going on in a marriage. Another term that's come up a lot lately is gaslighting. Have you been hearing that too? I have. And in fact, as you probably know, I've written about this subject and gaslighting goes back a very long time and there's been movies on gaslighting, right? And essentially it is making someone rethink whether that that has something has actually happened, whether it's occurring. I've had cases where people are gaslit where they believe that something has happened. For example, they know that they literally have put the thermometer, the, the thermometer controls in their house down or that they've adjusted something and then it's back to where it was and, and their spouse is saying, no, you never did that. You're really trying to make the person feel insane and question their own stability. And that's very, very dangerous for people. Yeah, I've had a divorce case where that was an issue too. We brought in a psychologist to help navigate that, even the negotiations, understanding 
the other spouse was gaslighting uh, my my client. Right. And I think it's so important for, as a professional, I always say to people, it's very important to work together with therapists. It's very important to work together with a team of people and to work collaboratively with a team of people who can be helpful to that person. So we work with therapists, we work with vocational analysts, career counselors, all of those types of people to help our clients. Yeah. Do you bring psychologists into the negotiation sometimes? I don't, but I do send my clients very often. I say to them, you might want to consider utilizing a therapist if you don't already have a therapist so that you have a support system other than just uh, you know, your attorneys, you need to have a support system as you go through. It's also good to have someone who can help you with co-parenting issues that come up. So those are all professionals that you can work with that make the divorce process much better for you and for your children. Mm-hmm. Well, I imagine uh, the way you practice things in New York is a little different than Massachusetts, where I am. So what professionals are available for parenting coaching in, in New York? How do you use that? We actually do use parent coordinators. I don't know if that's a term that you use, but parent coordinators are a very helpful tool where they work with the parents and try to navigate the issues that may come up in terms of custody, in terms of access, decision-making. Of course, each party seeing their own therapist and then sometimes therapists working basically together in terms of sharing information, sharing information with the children's therapists also is very helpful. And then sometimes if there are real mental health issues, we bring in a forensic psychologist or a psychiatrist who will do a, a deep dive and do an analysis and an evaluation on the entire family to see what may be actually some of the underlying issues and make a recommendation to the court. Do the parent coordinators in New York have the ability to make binding decisions? They do not. Yeah, that's always a problem, right? Right. Only the court really can make a binding decision unless the parents themselves agree on something. The court is there to determine best interest and they don't have the power to make a binding decision. Yeah. So two parent, two divorced parents who don't agree on something or they go to a parent coordinator for advice, but they don't necessarily have to do what the parent coordinator recommends. Right? right. Except that if the parent coordinator recommends something, you could have an agreement where if one parent agrees with the parent coordinator's recommendation, then they actually implement the recommendation of the parent coordinator, subject to the other parent having the right to go to court to argue his or her case that it should be something different and that it's not in the best interests of the children. I see. So shift the burden to the one who objects. Right. And very often we use something called a professional model. When parents have joint custody, we say that they are going to make a decision in accordance with the recommendations of the medical professional or the therapist. And again, always having the right to go to court to challenge that recommendation. Mm Mm-hmm. Got it. Interesting. Well, these mental health issues are pervasive. And as I said earlier today in this interview, we see people are at their worst during the divorce process. You know, they may not have had mental health issues that were quite as obvious before during the marriage as we see during the divorce. Of course, because they're, they're under the most stress that they can be, right? They are dealing with challenges about their children, That is first and foremost. And then they are dealing with challenges about their finances and how to divide their finances, whether they can pay enough support, whether they can pay, whether they have the ability to pay support or to receive support, how much. We now have two households instead of one household very often, right? And so people are, when people are more stressed, their mental health issues become more pronounced. 
that's not a big surprise. And so, yes, that is one of the things that we see. We see people at sometimes the worst time of their lives. Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. So it's very interesting. Personality disorders, I guess, on steroids during the divorce process, right? Exactly. Exactly. It's true. I think, as you just said, it's good to suggest that clients go have a therapist on hand during the divorce process to help them through. I think it's very important. And and sometimes for the children to also have therapists who they can actually vent with and that they can share their feelings with and feel like they have a private private time to do that. I think that's so important for people. And I think it's also important to keep in mind when you're dating and, and about to get married that you might start to think about things to protect, you know, yourself and your finances, prenups and and later maybe postnups. These are all, you know, there's a lot of ways to think about marriage and how you're going to deal with maybe the issue of a divorce in the event that your marriage doesn't work. Yeah. I actually think it's a good idea for people to have a therapist even when people aren't married even during the marriage, before things get bad, just to help them work through conflicts or issues that they might have or be unable to resolve. Just someone on hands that they have to work with. Right. So sometimes that works. We see people who sometimes have done that. I will say that many times, obviously, when they come to us, it hasn't worked for them. There's a reason, right, that they're sitting in, in my consultation room. Well, I think it's too late. I think they, it, sometimes they think they had a therapist on hand earlier in the relationship when things were good, that they would the therapist would help them, the parties, the spouses work through conflict resolution, give them the tools to do that. And also there would be this therapist as a resource to help them work through the issues early on to avoid a divorce is what I'm saying. So waiting too late in the marriage where things have already fallen apart and trying to put them back together, is, it, it, it may not work. And sometimes we see it doesn't work. It's too exactly. late. Exactly. Right? Yeah. It's too late for things. Well, is there anything else you want to talk about mental health? And we have, this is part of what we do, right? recognizing these issues. Right. So I just think that recognizing these issues and then obviously getting, making sure that if you are married to someone who has mental health issues, that you work with a therapist. And if you are someone who has mental health issues, that you you see a therapist, that you seek treatment. You know, very often people are afraid to seek treatment because they're going through a divorce. They, you know, I often get calls. Somebody is very anxious. They want to know if they should see a psychiatrist. Is it okay if I take anti-anxiety medication? I think that the most important thing about mental health issues is that that you need to take care of yourself because it's it's really about, it, it's like flying in a plane, right? You put your oxygen mask on yourself before you take care of others, right? And that is an incredibly important tool. People who are concerned about their mental health issues should be reassured to know that having a mental health issue doesn't preclude you from having custodial rights. It's, it's only if you don't deal with your mental health issue. If you are not compliant with your psychiatrist or your psychologist, if you're not taking the medications that were prescribed and that you're not compliant with those medications. Otherwise, many, many people have custody of their children who who may, may have mental health issues. It certainly doesn't preclude anyone from having a fabulous life and doesn't preclude people from getting married to fabulous people. Right. That's absolutely true. It's to recognize them and dealing with them are uh, the best things to recommend, right? Exactly. And I think, again, if you're married to somebody who has rage issues, seek help because you should not be subject to emotional or physical abuse. I mean, that is something that I think is also important. People do not have to live with physical or emotional abuse. Yeah, there are a lot of alternatives. Good. Well, thank you. Lisa, it's been great chatting with you on this important topic. How can our listeners get in touch with you if they're interested? So they can actually email me at 
lz at mzw-law.com, or they can go to my website, which is mzwnylaw.com. All right. And my phone number is, I'll give you my Westchester number because now we're going through COVID, but yeah, 914-455-1000. Wonderful. Well, I've been speaking with Lisa Ziderman, who's an attorney, divorce attorney in New York. And we've been talking about mental health issues. So thank you, Lisa. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much, Nadell. If you'd like more information about the topics covered in our podcast, please contact us at Grossman & Associates. You'll find a competent and experienced team of compassionate, responsive, and innovative legal professionals. Email me at hindell at grossmanltd.com. My first name is spelled H-I-N-D-E-L-L. Or call us at 617-969-0069. Thank you for listening.